Now, what I want to do is invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow on the screens in front of you. As we're going to kind of build on uh, the example, one of the examples of Stephen ministry, which is the ways that we, uh, we give of our gifts. And so we're going to pick up here in Romans chapter 12 with Paul's words to the church, God's word to us this morning. So we begin again, Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Brothers and sisters, we pray here God's blessing on the reading of his word. And let us pray. Gracious Lord, that we would hear. Hear from your voice, your Holy Spirit, your inspired word as it speaks to us and challenges us in faith. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. It was the Italian village of Cremona, 17th century. And into this village in Cremona was born a, a young boy by the name of Antonio. Now, Cremona's identity was very much centered around music, a variety of different ways, but music was at the core of, of this community. And young Antonio wanted to, to make music. He wanted to be able to, to develop skills in music. The problem was, he just wasn't very good at it. At least not in the ways we normally think of being musically gifted. He couldn't sing. His voice was high-pitched and squeaky, so the boys' choir didn't really want anything to do with him. And uh, he tried to learn an instrument, such as the violin, but the problem was the most of the comments that he got as he would practice and learn was from the neighbors coming over to beg his parents not to let him play anymore. <laughs> so he wasn't gifted in that. And so, by all accounts, he really didn't have anything to offer, any skills, any talents in music. And so he'd find himself by himself a lot, and it was kind of a family gift, so he would whittle and kind of create with his knife and um, pass the time making those kind of knickknacks. One day he learned that in his village was a famous um, instrument maker, Nicola Amati. 
And so young Antonio, as a young boy, ran to Amadi's house, and he begged him to let him be an apprentice. And so Amadi did. He took in young Antonio and began to train him. Young Antonio began to apprentice. He began to learn. And his skills in whittling soon became his skills in carving. And over the course of his life, he would make hundreds upon hundreds, thousands of instruments, guitars, cellos, harps, and violins. And when Antonio died in 1737, he left behind, we believe, about 1,500 guitars, each stamped with the name, his name, as it is Latinized, Antonio Stradivarius. The young boy who had no gift for music would use a gift that would impact music even today. I think by accounts are about 650 Stradivarius violins still around, and they are the most prized, I believe, most prized of, of the violins for their clarity and their, their craftsmanship. Antonio Stradivari or Stradivarius did not allow the world to shape his understanding of what his gifts were or how they could be used to make music. Paul says to us in the church, learn to think differently. We're going to get to that in a moment. Learn to think differently and recognize this. I believe at the very core of his message here in Romans 12, at least as we're going to understand, are a few short words that he begins with in verse 6. Chapter 12, verse 6. We all have different gifts. We all have different gifts. We need to start there this morning. When I was in the uh, third grade, a letter got sent home to my parents. I don't remember if I carried it home or it was mailed. But the letter basically said to my mom and dad that we would like to have Chris tested. <laughs> I know where some of you are going. We would like to have Chris tested. We'd like to have Chris tested for the gifted program. <laughs> I don't know why some of you are laughing there. Um, <laughs> I had done well in school, so they wanted to determine if I was gifted. Now, I don't know how many of you ever took a gifted test or were gifted students, but it was basically an IQ test. And so on the day of the testing, I went and I took the IQ in order to be gifted, in order to be among the elite, among the special, among the set apart, you had to score 130 on your IQ test. I scored 129. Thank you for your love. Uh, and I remember it very, very clearly because I remember my disappointment. I remember the disappointment because by the barometer set, by the test given, by the measuring standards of that program, I was not gifted. Now, fortunately, I had parents that helped me learn as a young boy not to internalize that lesson, to recognize that maybe I wasn't gifted in that standard, maybe I wasn't gifted by that barometer, but that there were gifts that God had given. But there's a danger that we sometimes buy into 
that I could have bought into, which is believing that gifted is a, a select designation for a select group of people that meet a specific and rigidly defined criteria. That some are gifted and some are not gifted. You're either in or you're out. And there's a danger because I think there are few of us in this room that have bought into that. We have bought that lie that somehow we are not gifted. And usually that's because we see the things that we wish we were good at. And we focus on the gifts that we don't have. And we undervalue the gifts that we do. Paul challenges us in a few short words in Romans 12, chapter 6. He challenges us and really wants us to rid ourselves of that mentality. Paul says, we all have different gifts. But I want you to focus on the words, we all have gifts. We all have gifts. Hear this to begin this time together. You are gifted. Everybody that I'm looking at here this morning is gifted. Not the same, not to the same measure, not to the same degree, not in the same ways, but God has uniquely spoken into your life. God has uniquely invested through His Spirit gifts into your life. Jeremiah 1, chapter 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The message translates and says, I have set you apart for holy purpose. Do you hear that? Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. That's what God says to us. And I have set you apart. I have invested in you. I have spoken into your life gifts for a holy purpose. Psalm 139, verse 14. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. We must begin with this understanding. We are gifted. Each of us, all of us, together, uniquely, distinctly, but gifted nonetheless. There are none that are in and none that are out. So that's our first point. You have gifts. But here's our second truth. They're not for you. You have gifts. But Paul wants us to understand they're not for you. They're for us. They're for us. My gifts are our gifts. Your gifts are our gifts. God speaks into our lives in order to allow us to bring something to the table that makes us stronger, that makes us faithful, obedient, gifted together in the things that God has called us to do. See, what he wants to challenge is the world's way of thinking. And this has kind of become an unintentional refrain in these last few weeks. But, but hear what he says again in verse 2. And these are familiar words for some of you. Paul says, before he kind of talks about these gifts, he's setting the table. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the dominant thinking. Do not conform to the, um, the world's model, if you will, but be transformed. Allow the Holy Spirit to work to change the parameters of the box, to change the way you view your gifts. Now, what are the ways that the world thinks? Well, there's a lot of those. But one of the things that we get indoctrinated in is the idea that gifts are for us. 
In the same way, if, if you walked up here after service, after this worship service, and I said, hey, I have a gift for you. And I pull out from behind the, the rail, I pull a box, and it's wrapped, and it's got the ribbon on it, and I handed it to you. I'm going to guess that if you're like me, your instinct would to think, he has given me something, Chris has given me something that's for my enjoyment. It, it may be a, a token of appreciation and gratitude, but it's something for me to use, to enjoy, to be blessed by. Because that's generally what we give gifts for. If I give you a gift, I want you to enjoy it and be blessed by it. Paul says, we need to have our minds, our understanding transformed. God gives us a gift. But he gives it to us, not for us, for ourselves, but for us to give away. For us to use within a community called the church. Again, I say over, not, not location, not building, church, people the body of Christ, to use our gifts so that we can faithfully live into the call that Christ has placed on us. Your gifts are to be given away. My gifts are to be given away because they belong to us. I don't know how many of you have read uh, Philip Yancey over the years. I highly recommend him to you, just about anything he's ever written. And um, Philip Yancey talks in, in one of his books he talks about the people he's met over the years and interviewed in his writing and in his travels. And he, he simplistically breaks them down into stars and servants. He has two categories. There are stars and there are servants. Now, the stars, I think, is pretty easy for us to grasp. It's pretty self-explanatory. The stars are the people that collectively we, um, culturally we, idolize. Movie stars. Um, successful and wealthy um, businessmen and women, uh, uh, those who have achieved and become famous, those who, who we recognize and, and crowds mob, those, those are the stars, those who kind of have everything at their fingertips they could need or want. And he says collectively, the stars that he's met are some of the most miserable people he's ever encountered. He says very, very often they are defined by failed relationships, surface-level insecurities, um, unstable um, foundations in their life. He's just, he's just said, as a, as a whole, and, and obviously there are exceptions to that, but he, as a whole, they are just not a happy group of people. And then he talks about the servants. He talks about the people that don't get any press, don't get any attention, don't make lots of money. People like men and women who go into the far reaches of South America because they're linguists to translate the Bible into to, um, indigenous languages. He talks about the missionaries that travel to all parts of the world to serve Jesus and to, to offer care for others. He talks about those kind of folks that give of themselves in ways that will never get the attention of the world and won't put money in their bank account. And he, he writes this. It was very interesting. He says, I was prepared to honor them. I was prepared to admire them. But I was not prepared to envy them. I was prepared to admire them. I was prepared to honor them. But I was not prepared to envy them. But he said over and over again as he has spent time with the servants, he's been again reminded and he's been overwhelmed by the testimony of their life, by the fact that he said that it seems the more that they give their life away, the more that they find it. And that should sound very familiar to you. 
Because that's exactly what Jesus says to us. That in giving our lives away, we find it. We are called to be transformed. Because Paul talks about these gifts, and later on he mentions them, giving and charity and prophesying. And he's not creating an exhaustive list. He's not naming them all. But he's reminding us that our lives are truly found in giving them away. In fact, he says at the very beginning, present yourself as a holy and living what? Sacrifice. Sacrifice is a gift. We offer ourselves to God. That is the first, that is the focus of our worship. We offer ourselves to God, just like the statement that you heard in the testimony, not about what we take, but about what we give. And we need to be challenged by that in the church. We need to constantly, again, to beat the drum that I've been on, we need to be careful of the way that the world's thinking infiltrates us and begins to deviate us away from the call of Christ upon our lives. And let me tell you one of the phrases that we have to be really, really careful about. And I'm going to risk stepping on toes here. But hear me out. I hope you understand where I'm going with this. We have to be really, really careful about this common phrase that we speak, that I have spoken. I'm going church shopping. I'm going church shopping. Now, some of you are now bristling up. You're going, "Uh uh-oh, he's getting personal. And I'm not condemning and I'm not criticizing. Because I understand that. I would do it too. In fact, there was a time, a very brief time in my life, when I took a break from ministry, it was the only time Tony and I have ever got to pick our church. When I was in seminary, we got to do it, and then for a few years when I was on a break, because I grew up a preacher's kid, as many of you know, and then I've been in ministry, so my church has pretty much been chosen for me most of my life. And I totally understand, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, I'm looking for a church in which um, the music and the preaching and the, the style, that it fits. That's human, that's understandable, that's okay. The danger is when that becomes the barometer, that becomes the narrow box in which we judge a church by. Because as the body of Christ, we're called certainly to find a place we can connect, but the purpose of our connection is in what we can offer. The purpose of our gathering is in our giving of ourselves. So how many of us, and I didn't do this, when I church shopped, say, I'm not only looking for a place that I can receive, I'm looking for the kind of gathering in which I can give. I can offer the gifts that I have, the gifts that I claim to make a difference, that I can give to the gathering what I have been gifted by God with. That is equally as important. And so the danger is not that we church shop. It's that when that becomes all that we measure the church by, what do I get, what do I get, what do I get? That's not what Paul says. Rather, he says... What do you give? What do you give? What do you give? Bring it to the table. You are a holy and living sacrifice. Offer yourself to God. And we offer ourselves to God as we offer ourselves to each other, as we serve together, as we invest our talents together. And we don't do it so that we can be a happy little um, withdrawn community. but We do it so that we can impact the world, that we can in turn do what Christ has called us to do. Go therefore to the world baptizing, making disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's our marching orders. We're called to invest ourselves into that, to be difference makers, to stand together, and to basically lay on the table those gifts that God has poured into us. That's why we celebrate Stephen ministry and food pantry ministries and thrift store ministries and 
tons of ministries because they're ways that we bring our gifts to the table and we give to the world as we offer ourselves to Christ. We stand together. There's a neat story told uh, in a leadership magazine that I came across about a Sunday morning worship service and the tenor from the choir came and he came to sing a solo. It was a familiar hymn. And uh, for whatever reason, his, his voice was just not on that day. Uh, those of you that sing, I'm sure know what this feels like. It just wasn't there and it really, it wasn't very good. And the congregation was internalizing this. And all of a sudden, congregants, they started grabbing the hymnal and they started opening up to the hymn. And by the second verse, they started to sing along and it started slowly. And a few voices joined in because they realized that their brother was having problems. By the third verse, more had joined in. By the fourth verse, it was a beautiful chorus within the entire congregation as they joined in this hymn together. And an interesting thing happened. As they sang together, the tenor got his voice back. And at the fifth verse, they all got quiet. And he finished his solo in a powerful way that just blessed all who heard it. And the person who observed this said it was the picture of the body of Christ coming together giving themselves for each other to make a unified song to the Lord. That's who we're called to be. That's what we're called to be. Hear this, brothers and sisters. You are gifted. Claim your gift. Claim your gift. And then give it away. Let's pray. Challenge us, Lord. Challenge us from a way of thinking that is too easily molded by the world. Transform us by your Holy Spirit. That we would recognize in the, war, in the womb you formed us. And you have set us apart for holy purpose. You've gifted us for holy purpose to make a difference. But as you have given a gift, we are called to give it away. Help us, gracious God to truly be gift givers. We pray in Christ. Amen.